Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast for another episode reviewing the win against Istanbul in the Champions League. And Larry, when Solskjaer is up against it, another must-win game, he pulls it out with what can be described as a fantastic performance, I thought. I think you can call it Magnifico, um, considering who was the star of the show yet again. But yeah, I'm with you, Solskjaer. Is that the first time we've won back-to-back this season? It feels like it, at least. But yeah, fantastic result to pull out, and that leaves us top of the group. I think United should go through from here. Well, it's one of those ones. I think we'll get into the situation we find ourselves in in regards to the Champions League group and the two remaining games. But just as I mentioned there, in terms of must-win game, it didn't really feel like it didn't really have that big game feel going into it. But when you do look at how tricky our next two games are, this almost was the definition of a must-win game. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we'll go to what is there. there is to come ahead, I should say. But yeah, I think that's now two very good wins for United. Um, in fact, it's three wins if you look at our form line considering we did beat Everton before the international break. So some much-needed results um, in Solskjaer's favour with his job on the line, but I think that this is one now where the club can really push on. Well, we'll go into, as we always do, we always start the match review in regards to the start in 11 and the team selection. And Solskjaer got it, well, we'll get into it if it was right or wrong, but exactly what the fans called for. Not only the personnel, we'll get into Donny van der Beek's selection in a little bit, but all the style of the four three three. Sometimes you can line up in a four three three, and it's really sort of what you'd call a four two three one, where those sort of you got two sitting midfielders. But this time it was really Fred almost sitting by himself, and Van der Beek having that license almost in that Pogba role to go and join Bruno Fernandez. So when you woke up this morning, obviously we watched Champions League um, their morning kickoffs for us, the seven a.m. kickoff. What did you think when you saw the um, team lineup? Uh, I was surprised, but in a very good way. Um, very pleasing to see Van der Beek get a start. Um, I know you and thousands and millions, if not, um, have, of United fans have called for him to, for the Dutchman to get his opportunity, and I think he responded perfectly today. I thought he was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, the midfield and, and the attacking options, you have to say, a, a lot of us called for Cavani, Martial, Rashford. Um, I didn't expect to see it. So, again, um, much to my surprise, but in a positive light. Well, just on that front three, we'll get into, obviously, Bruno and Donny van der Beek's performance in a bit, but you just mentioned there Cavani and Martial. We always mention with Martial, one week he'll play fantastic on a left wing, and then we'll say he's he's a left wing, he's a natural left winger. The next week he'll score a double up front, and he's the next um, Andy Cole, he's the next Dwight York, where we all love him up front. So it is a bit of a love-hate relationship with Martial's positioning. And obviously you're a big fan of Anthony Martial, but Edison Cavani just... While he wasn't in on the goals, he didn't get on the end of anything. He just looks more of a striker than Martial, I think. Absolutely. I think you saw the difference today. Um, As much as I love Martial, you saw the link-up play, particularly in the first half. I think when it was just that 1-0, there was Bruno and Cavani almost playing triangles in sync with each other in terms of the balls and one flick, one touch passes. Martial, while he has the ability and the skill to do that, I don't think he knows how to play that when he's up front um, or have that ability when he's up front because, look, striker's its own unique dark art. I think it's a such a specialist position where you have to have an instinct for who's around you, who's on your back, um, whether to shoot, pass. You know, Cavani is obviously, he showed his experience today and I don't think you can teach that skill. And Cavani, how old is he, 34 years old? He looked much better. 
Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Martial, big fan of Rashford, but I think we saw today, um, and you saw how, Rash, uh, how Rashford and Martial played, um, I think we've got the... We saw each player's best position, I think. Well, in regards to a best position, do you, would you say that for Marcus Rashford? Because I think it was a typical Marcus Rashford performance, some moments of absolute brilliance, but overall maybe his contribution wasn't quite there, but I, but I thought he did well. He doesn't often line up on the right, and a few of us sometimes call for that, but it does come with sort of somewhat limitations. But I thought it gave us good balance, so maybe not from a defensive aspect, which we'll get into and in how the formation did play out. But what do you think of Rashford on the right? Because he's so often on the left, or any sort of right, right-footed quick player will play on the left. We see that with Dan James, we see that with Martial, we see that with any footballer around Europe now. It's very, very sort of weird that you see him actually line up on the right-hand side, so... Is that something that Rashford can maybe sort of try and nail down a more consistent spot in the team there? It's a weird one. If you watched him through the under-16s, he actually lined up on the right a fair bit. Um, he played on the right for the most part, and then he played number 10. And then obviously we've seen him come through as a striker. So he is a weird one, but he is versatile. I think he. it, it might just be a matter of getting used to. I think we've seen in modern football that players tend to prefer being right or left uh, much more than, say, in the 80s and 90s. But that's just because teams are so systemic these days. I think if you gave Rashford a run of games on the right-hand side, I'm sure he could make a fist of it. He's probably best... He's Look, his best position is definitely on the left. Um, and I still think, you know, I'm sure we'll come to Martial, but I don't think we've seen the end of him at striker either. So it might just be something where Solskjaer can rotate it around. But, look, I think Rashford can do a job there. He might be the best option going forward. Um... I still think Greenwood probably does need to come into the lineup. Um, so, look, can do a job there um, in a nutshell, but probably not his best position. All right, before we move on to the midfield, I just want to sort of talk about the system and the four-three-three just a little bit because, as fantastic as it was, especially in that first half, some of the football was brilliant. But I could also see that is exactly why Solskjaer doesn't why why he is sort of so reluctant to play that four-three-three because it was fantastic. But my God, Istanbul they created chances. And another day, overall, we won the match 4-1. I think we, if we play this exact same football, the exact same game against Southampton, I think that's a 4 all draw. We've well, we've put so much commentary into the defence. And look, Maguire and Lindelof are not going to win a premiership as the centre-half partnership for Manchester United. We, we know it. And while I thought you saw the best of United today in terms of the attack, if you can't keep a clean sheet, you're not going to win games of football. So... Better the devil you know um, in the case of Solskjaer, and I understand now why he is sticking with that 4-2-3-1 formation. Um, yeah, Tom, we, we look shaky, and I agree with you. I think against better opposition, and we'll talk about Southampton, I think you play Southampton that way, they will press us, and they will get opportunities on goal. I have no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm not sure where the major problems come from, whether it be the midfield having those two attacking players and one defensive, if it stems from there. Or even a front three in terms of Marcus Rashford and Martial defend well. And they work hard, but you can work hard but still be in the wrong position or do the wrong type of press. So I'm not sure where the sort of problems in terms of the team attacking us really stem from, whether it's our sort of combination in midfield or it actually starts from the front where our problem is because we've seen some of our best defensive performances so far this year. Or I'd say the performances where we've sort of conceded the least amount of chances is Dan James on the left and one matter on the right-hand side. And they're exactly who people are calling not to play. But from a defensive point of view, you can see why Solskjaer sort of gets more out of them than a, sort of a Martial and a Rashford. 
I could be dead wrong on this, um, but my personal opinion is Maguire and Lindelof, their positional play um, isn't fantastic. I think Lindelof positionally actually is better than Maguire, but because there's such a lack of pace between the two of them, the second one player is stretched, you've got one central defender committing to cover, say, Alex Tellez or Luke Shaw, whoever might be on that side, there's suddenly a lack of pace to cover. If you can think of Rio and Vidic, and of course, they're the pinnacle, right? Like, these are world-class centre-backs. But if you think of how those two defended, if Vidic got pulled out of position, Rio was there to clean up because he had the pace, um, at least in the peak of his career. Between Lindelof and Maguire, if one makes a mistake, I don't. there's just not that ability to really cover for the other. And... Look, the ultimate solution will obviously be getting a pacey centre-half, whether that's Tuanzebe or it's bringing someone in. Um, but I understand that, and, and like we've touched on, those threats that come from midfield, without that ability to really get the pace in the partnership, you do almost need two central two central midfielders to compensate for that. Well, just thinking there, the, the amount of enjoyed that show, because I think it's very, very sort of accurate what we've both said there, but... We have won this game 4-1. It just seems so critical. So we will try to move on to a bit of a positive. And I think the main positive from the game, we'll get your thoughts on it. Um, the Dutchman, Donny van der Beek, wasn't a standout. Like Bruno sort of got a lot of the headlines and rightly so for the goals. Can you re- can you remember a single mistake Donny van der Beek made? Because I'd love to see his passing stats. I thought he was faultless. That's the key. And I think what I really enjoyed about this midfield was... Every player's role was very clear. Fred was, you know, protect the back four, clean up and give it to Van der Beek, give it to Bruno. Van der Beek's role was simply keep possession, look to progress the ball forward. While he wasn't fantastic um, or brilliant to the eye, I should say, I think the midfield was so much more well complemented today. Um, I, I think Solskjaer does have a headache. I think Van der Beek has definitely forced his way into a start in the Premier League. I think... It's long overdue. Now, in terms of what partnership you go for, that's something that we can discuss. But I think it was a perfect foil for Bruno to see what he did. And look, we haven't spoken about him yet, but he was fantastic. Well, where, where would you sort of describe Donny van der Beek's position? Where, where did he play? Because I think he was more advanced than Fred. But I, d- I didn't see a heat map. But just from memory, just from when Fred was picking up the ball to where Donny van der Beek was picking up the ball, he still was quite deep but it had a real attacking feel to it when, when he picked the ball up. So are we sort of misguided because of the attacking performance, we think he was quite attacking, or do you think he actually probably was sitting in front of the back four almost in a 4-2-3-1? I think he chose his moments. It's difficult to say, and I'm sure if you looked at United's players' positions over the over the 90 minutes, I'm sure it doesn't line up as a 4-2-3-1 nor a 4-3-3. I'm sure there's a little bit of diversity in that but uh, van der Beek just basically in my view of the game just put himself where it was needed I felt like when we needed to keep possession he was almost closer to Fred like he said um, approaching the back four because he is comfortable on the ball um, but was also had that license to get forward perhaps because he's an attack-minded player almost felt he played the Herrera role today he was a number eight somewhere in between the the two boxes however because he's naturally a more attacking minded player compared to Herrera I think he was more willing to get forward and that's what we saw today yeah well at the end of the podcast we'll definitely touch on the upcoming Southampton match and I'm sure both of us will be calling for him to start but it will be very interesting but again, the main man, which we discussed last week going into pretty much every game, he's going to be the main man and again prove the difference today. 
Um, Bruno Fernandez, he is pretty good at football, isn't he? Oh yeah, mate, he's he's pretty good. Um, no, in all seriousness, fan, that first goal, you can be critical of the goalkeeper if you like. No, uh, oh, for me, no, even no, if no, a no, keeper no, gets no. their hands, yeah, that's the thing. You get your hands in front of that, yeah, you're breaking your wrists. What a shot! Very Paul Scholes esque in the way it went into the back of the net. But look, the second goal, very fortuitous. Um, nonetheless, he had to be there. Um, look, I think Bruno's fantastic. He's his work rate is unbelievable as well, and I don't think that that should be undershadowed. He, I'd love to see the st- the statistics for how much ground he covers in a game. His work rate is phenomenal, Tom. And when you consider he still has the engine to, or the ability to still do what he does in the attacking final third. See, this was the day where a lot of it came off for Bruno. We often have voiced our frustrations at how often he can turn over the ball, but today everything was falling for him, particularly in that first half and. He was magnifico in every sense of the word. What do you think of Bruno? Because he's starting to become a little bit more mainstream in regards to the media sort of discussing him in, in, in the, likes, the likes of De Bruyne and um, sort of how influential Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are at Liverpool. They're saying he's had the same effect at United. Obviously, rival fans hate him, which shows sort of how good he is. There's a lot of discussion now. How, is he world-class or is he best in the league or is he the best midfielder in the league, etc.? On those two topics, where do you sit? Would you class him as a world-class footballer at the moment? I think you have to say yes. Um, Look, the stats speak for themselves. We can be critical of, you know, yes, he doesn't keep possession, but he's obviously been given the license in the team to say, please go create. Um, And that's obviously why he does have two midfielders sitting behind him to cover for that. So I think you have to look at the system United deploy. I think you have to look at the players around him because... Look, for all the credit we do give our favourite players, to man for man, I think no one will say it's wild, a wild thing to say that Man City have a, a better squad. So, all in all, taking all into account, I think Bruno, you have to say he's world-class, and not forgetting, Tom, he came in January, and I don't think we make the Champions League without him, such was his impact. What a player. Oh, no, definitely. Like, and, I, and I say this with the greatest respect to Solskjaer. It's definitely not a criticism of Solskjaer. But he doesn't have a United job if it's not for Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes has saved Solskjaer's job. And, and every manager needs that. Sir Alex Ferguson wouldn't have had the career if it wasn't for Eric Cantona, for Roy Keane, for Ryan Giggs. Every manager needs good players. But it's, I think it's clear as day. If Bruno doesn't come in, United are in a far, far weaker position over the last 12 months. But just on, on that, what we've talked about there, is he world-class? And I think we both quite agree. I think more important than that world-class debate, which I mentioned, and is he the best player in the league or is he not the best player in the league? For me, I still think it's Kevin De Bruyne. But something more important, which I mentioned on Twitter, I think he's the most influential. And you could be the most influential player in the league and be for Burnley. It's what you give to your team. And what I've just mentioned there, what he's done over the past 12 months or coming up the last 12 months, I can't name a more influential player in the Premier League. I'd agree with that. You know, I'm, I, I say this next sentiment with a touch of sadness, but he's almost everything we expected Pogba to be when Pogba signed for United. Yeah, no, it's hard to argue with that. You look at the impact he has in the final third, you look at the level of consistency we've seen in terms of his performance. I imagine, and again, Pogba, suspiciously or not, left out of the squad today. Yeah, if you're Paul Pogba, you're looking at Bruno with an element of envy. I have no doubt about it. I, I can't imagine he looks at Bruno and thinks, oh, yeah, love this. It has to, has to sit sadly with him. Yeah, no, definitely. But just moving on now, and look, 
we've all seen the work Marcus Rashford is doing. He's, he's giving everything to everyone. But it was Bruno this time who had the penalty on a hat-trick. Could you imagine if you had money on a Bruno Fernandes hat-trick or a Bruno Fernandes penalty? He gets the penalty. Hey, Rashford, your turn to have a go. Uh, I, I was shocked. Not, not a criticism at all of Bruno. I was just, oh my God, how has he given this up? I, I was shocked. Yeah, very interesting one. Um, and I've got to say, Rashford, for how giving he is, <laughs> you're almost critical. Like, the, you can't be giving on the football pitch. He's, he's literally on the hat-trick. In saying that, um, if we flash our minds back, Rashford was on the hat-trick against Leipzig and gave his penalty away to Martial. Yeah. So maybe a little bit of return serve in this one. Well, I like Bruno's reasoning, and who knows what the reason is, but he, he obviously always does say the right thing in a press conference. But sort of mentioning that in terms of the goals in the hat-trick, he was on against Leipzig. So, well, he's scored a few goals in the Champions League. So if you're potentially looking ahead at one of your teammates, maybe one day sort of getting the golden boot in the Champions League, this extra goal might um, help him on his way. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. Like, strikers live by goals and goal records. I think for Bruno, it's just another day in the office. So, nonetheless, I love it. Um, it's good to see that there's that camaraderie in the team to think, you know, the team's bigger than myself. So you have to respect that. Now, just moving on, and I'll just introduce maybe a little bit of a fun fact for all the podcast listeners. If you're on social media, I'm sure you heard this today. It was doing its rounds. But um, Daniel James has now scored more Champions League goals than Arsenal since 2017, Larry. Oh, prolific is Dan James. How good and fantastic to see him add to that record today. Not only that, okay, we can have a bit of fun at that, but first of all, it's fantastic to see him score because he's been in for a lot of criticism. Both of us have criticised him heavily especially some of the stuff that's going online. He's almost public enemy number one in regards to a lot of so-called United fans. But besides all that, it was a good goal. Okay, the finish was pretty much a tap-in. So they still had to place it. But the team goal, okay, the game was stretched. But it was a fantastic goal. Fiat who pinged the ball into Cavani. Cavani, perfect layoff as a striker. In a Donny van der Beek, who played a first-time ball. Beautiful out to Mason Greenwood, who I thought when Mason Greenwood came on, he looked maybe a bit wasteful at times, but I thought he looked very good. And a beautiful ball by Greenwood, and I was just really happy for Dan James to score, and obviously his first Champions League goal. Yeah, I'm with you, and um, I want to put some praise on Greenwood. He's been going through a torrid time, if you just look at what's been been reported on the papers in the UK, and I'm, I'm happy for him. I think he was wasteful at times, but I thought he looked very sharp, showed good bursts of pace, showed his quality. Um, fantastic to see him, and he had a few opportunities, Greenwood. He had a few on his head, and... Could have had a goal there, but nonetheless, um, happy for happy for Greenwood to get the assist. And look, I really want Dan James to do well, Tom. Like for all the criticism I've given him on this podcast, I think none of it's been over the top. I think it's been just. But there's something there. I, I do look at him, and I just I can't help but wonder maybe in with better players around him, where he can just come on like he did today and have an impact where the defense has been spread out. I think he can certainly make an impact. It's just about using him in the right times and. I think he can still be of good use to United, hopefully. No, definitely. And just before we move on, you just mentioned there, Greenwood, how good he looked. I think one of the big things for me, he looked fresh. And I don't know, are you gonna, can we give Solskjaer a bit of credit for that? Because Solskjaer has left him out, whether that be injury or whether that be discipline or whether that just be getting him out of the limelight. I thought he looked fit today. He just had a bounce in his step. And is that just, just natural or is that a bit of sort of credit due for Solskjaer? Oh, no, I think full credit to Solskjaer. He's definitely pulled him out of the limelight. I think there's been a case of we'll pull him out of training. A few things have been going on in his personal life and obviously the reports that we've spoken about. Um, and he's managed it perfectly. He's keeping in mind that this is a young kid, maybe needs to be pulled out a little bit and 
considering it's the second season um, and in terms of his first team career and he is going to have a greater spotlight on him. So all in all, I think he's being handled perfectly and credit to Solskjaer for doing that. Okay, now moving on to three tier ones. Interesting one this week. Um, we don't have to scrape the bottom of the barrel, which is always enjoyable. But a, a tricky one because Bruno obviously had the two goals and I assume, I, I didn't check, but I assume the Man United Twitter account probably gave you man of the match and who can argue. I wouldn't be going Bruno there. I would say, and while he did stand out, I just thought the consistency of the performance by Donny van der Beek, I thought we don't have that sort of solid performance without his performance in midfield. So for me, three points would be van der Beek. How about you? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I was leaning toward Bruno. Um, well, look, Bruno did, but, did have two goals, so you can definitely... I'll, I'll listen to your case for Bruno, because, yeah, who might argue with two goals? Well, that's the thing, Tom. I think... United's problem is getting on the score sheet, and once they do, I think it does put them in a good stead. And the nature of the finish, like, geez, um, I don't think you're going to see a player score that every week in the Premier League or the Champions League. So for the strike alone, I'd be giving it. But I thought, like you say, Bruno is so influential, and while Van der Beek does provide the platform, I look. The only thing I'd say detracts from Van der Beek in your argument is this was against opposition that I don't think isn't. In basically the top 10 in the Premier League. So from that perspective, I still think Bruno, obviously he's got the goals, which is highly influential in the final score. So I'm, I'm preaching for the Portuguese. Yeah, no, as I said, hard to argue. So I'll go with Bruno for three points. And not only the goal, obviously the goals do play a key part, but like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I mean, he was, he was still careless at times. That's his game. But it wasn't too bad today, Bruno, in regards to getting rid of the ball or giving the ball away. So I thought his performance was actually quite good and I was sort of glad in the nicest way possible to see him substituted because he is a player that has always has the potential to be run into the ground. So I think that was a good substitution to get him off nice and early. You'd say Van der Beek for, for two points, though? Yeah, I'm with you. Um I do agree with all the comments you've made. I think Van der Beek was fantastic. I'd love to see his pass completion. I think it, it must be really high. I, I don't recall him losing the ball once. Um, very good game. Positional play, fantastic. And look, we haven't spoken about Pogba in this podcast, but I think that that's a compliment to Van der Beek. I think what he provided in, in terms of a foil for both Fred and Bruno in between them both was excellent. So... Two points to um, the Dutchman. Is that his? Is that his first points, Van der Beek? I think he might have got one in the League Cup. Maybe I'll have to go back and check. Um, we do keep a hold of the listings or, or the rankings, but um, I think he might have got one or two points in one of the League Cup games. Because um, as I say, when he does come on, he does very well. Now he just needs those minutes, and we'll discuss the Southampton game in a little bit. But I think it was very straightforward for those in terms of the three points and the two points. The one point is a very tricky one for me. I'll get your thoughts. I'd be willing to say maybe Cavani. I, I thought, look, he wasn't on the end. Of, he's a striker. He needs to score goals. But I thought he's brilliant up front, not just on the ball in terms of his contribution, but I thought off the ball. As you mentioned, his age a little bit earlier. He was working like a, so almost like a prime Carlos Tevez. Yeah, work rate, phenomenal. Um, I, I'm with you. I think one point for Cavani. I think the foil he provided up front was fantastic for both Martial, Bruno, um, and to an extent Rashford, I suppose. But... Yeah, thought fantastic play, but an honourable mention to Fred. Again, his work rate, fantastic. I think he's, again, coming on leaps and bounds. If you think of his first season under Mourinho to what he is now, um, he's undroppable, Fred. And uh, I just think he deserves an honourable mention while missing out on points this game. 
No, definitely. Now we'll just quickly go on to the Facebook comments um, in regards to people's three, two, ones. Rob put in the Facebook comment saying it agreed pretty much with us. Three for Bruto, two for Donny, one for Cavani. Josh said three for Vanderbake, two for Fernandez, and one for Rashford. Rashford's an interesting one because again, I thought he did well. It was just a little bit. It was a typical Rashford performance. I remember that run he did in the first couple of minutes. That would have been goal of the tournament. Yeah, Rashford's a weird one. I just would like to see more consistency over the 90 minutes. Almost the criticism we've had of Bruno this season. He's got these moments of absolute brilliance, but just needs to put it together for a full game, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And just a question here from George, who's obviously been on the podcast before. So great result this morning, putting us in a position whereby we only need a point against PSG to guarantee progression with a game to spare. In a heavily congested fixture list, do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer goes full strength trying to win the group, or does he rotate the side knowing qualification is guaranteed? Well, this is hard because you do look at the position we're in going into, and it's a very good position. I think it's a, a draw in either game because it's obviously a head-to-head, um, head-to-head before the goal difference, so it's not just a point against PSG. We could lose to PSG and still a point against Leipzig will take us through. I think someone can correct me if that's wrong, but I'm positive that's the case. But we have to look at it. We're playing against last year's Champions League finalists, against last year's Champions League semi-finalists. There is a very good chance, and not to be sort of negative, but we could go into this game as... Un- we, sh- we really should be going into these two games as under- underdogs, and it would be no surprise if we lo- lose these two games. Are you-, are you with me on that? I don't want to say that, but there's a very real possibility that PSG are a very good team, Leipzig are a very good team. There is a very real situation we could go into these two games and perform well and still lose. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one. I think United at home to PSG will be interesting to see how they approach that match. And obviously we can preview closer to the game, but it'll be interesting to see do they go with a similar format or similar foil to what they did in Paris, which obviously we saw such a fantastic result in. Um, and also you have to take into account Tuan Zabi almost put in a man of the match performance that game. He's barely seen a match since. So that's something that, that'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, it, it's... I think Solskjaer has to go for finishing top of the group now. To be in the position we're in, and look, with all due respect to United players, and I know everyone's getting a bit excited after this result, I don't think we can compete with the best teams in Europe just yet. So I'd like to see United finish top of the group and put themselves in a position to get a more favourable draw in the final 16. See, for me, I think how close it does get in that final 16 and quarterfinal of the Champions League, top of the group, second in the group, whoever you're going to get... It means nothing to me. You've got to have to face the best team in Europe at some stage or you've got to get knocked out. So for me, look, it would be very nice and you want to be sort of positive and ambitious to win the group. For me, we take a point against PSG and lose 3-0 to Leipzig. If we go through, I'm 100% taking it because if we get a point, I'm all about rotation in the Leipzig game. It, okay, it'd be fantastic to win and you do try do have to go and try and win every single game. Of course you do. But it's just, as, as George's question just mentioned, that it's such a heavy fixture sort of congestion and I think it's all about results. And the result now, or the result at the moment, is getting through the group. It's not about winning two games. But, um, yeah, we will preview the Champions League games in a little bit. But just before we move on to the um, Southampton game, to wrap up the podcast, we mentioned this on the last time we played Istanbul, but, and people can be bored or sick of it if they want to, but on our podcast, so we're going to talk about it, Raphael. I'm falling in love with him all over again. <laughs> Why is that? 
Don't you just love the guy? Like he's just. Uh, I'll go back to it. It was Van. Look, it wasn't Van Hal's biggest mistake. Of course, it wasn't. Getting rid of a right back wasn't his biggest mistake. He, he made many mistakes. But I thought it was such a stupid mistake getting rid of Raphael. Not not just for the footballer, the right back. You can have your opinion on him as a footballer. But the personality and the character is exactly what this club has sort of lacked over the past five, six, seven years. And look, I'm not saying he could still be in our right back and doing a job for us. We saw how, how quick Dan James was compared to Raphael when he came on. But we just missed that personality. And you can see him coming off the field there. You don't want to sort of praise a player for being happy when they come off, but uh, when they come off the field after a 4 1 defeat. But he was happy because United won. You saw that. You just, I just miss him so much. He really should still be United for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I think a team with Bruno Fernandes and Raphael in the sliding 11, um, I think there's a lot more passion and leadership in that um, dressing room. So, look, one that broke my heart when Van Gaal decided to say goodbye, but fantastic to see Raphael always. And look, he's a United fan at heart. We all know that, and he's made no secret of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, now, we'll move on, obviously, to finish the podcast. Now, look ahead to Southampton. is obviously a... Monday morning game for us, unfortunately. I think it's 1am Monday morning, which is always a little bit tricky. Do you set the alarm? Do you stay up? It's, it's never fun, but we will um, work out the best possible way to do so. Again, we go into every single game. Must-win game. And I don't know if this isn't the definition of a must-win game, but we need a good performance and we need a result. Undefeated in the league, um, if I'm not wrong. Um, I think no, surely they've, they've lost. Start- I've got the table here. I'll check. Um, they are yeah, in fifth. I, I they've had two defeats. I don't... Well, if we look at their... Okay, well, I'm looking at their last oh, form. Oh, sorry, yeah, their last five, but, yeah. But if you're looking at their last five games, um, no losses there. Um, and they're scoring goals. Uh, Danny Ings has started the season quite well, specifically. Um, I've, I've seen some of their games. They've played really well. And look, it's, it's not going to be an easy game for United. Um, I think it's, again, a must-win. Um, but like we said um, on the last podcast, we win our game in hands because the table's almost lying a little bit. We're only four points off the top. Now, I'm not saying United are going to challenge for the title, but I'll you're right it. in the I'll race. You put... We'll challenge for the title. If we're four points behind Tottenham, think how good they've been and how bad we've been, how much more improvement we have in us. Again, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Of course, we're not going to win the title. But the criticism, we've got the Guardiola's behind us, Arteta's behind us. We do need to realise we aren't as bad as we've sort of it's been perceived. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And look, while it's not going to be an easy game, United do need to get a result. Um, this is a side that hasn't lost um, since where are we looking now? Uh, back in September against Tottenham. So they're more than a month now with you know pretty positive results. They were top of the league just before the international break. So. Not going to be an easy game for United. Well, we, we look at the performance this morning against Istanbul and we say a very good performance. Let's carry that on to the Southampton game. Do you think Solskjaer is looking at it as a good performance in regards to, OK, I can pick that same 11 again? Because as I mentioned, I think if that exact same game plays out against Southampton, I think it's a four-all draw. And we can argue whether it points a good result or not a good result. I think sitting here, we all want to win the game, so I would say it's a bad one. Is it a bit, maybe a bit too risky to line up in the same way in terms of that in terms of that midfield, that front three? It's a difficult one. Southampton do like to press from the front, and I think they do they do press very well. I just worry with as much as I love Fred, I'm not sure how comfortable he is getting the ball deep off the yeah. back four, um, and I just think it's just too much of a risk. I think he goes back to two sitting midfielders, unfortunately, but. 
I just don't think we have the personnel for it. Do you think, who do you, would you say Fred keeps his spot and someone partners him? Or do you think maybe Nemanja Matic comes in? Because obviously he is the one who sort of can take that pressure off the back four when we do have the ball. I think so, but rightly or wrongly, I think he will, and by he I mean Solskjaer, I think he goes with McTominay and Fred, or, or the McFred burger, as we're waiting for McDonald's to release in the UK. But I think the way Southampton play, which is su- with such a high intensity, you have to say, uh, the level of velocity in which they press, he could go one of two ways. He could look to put the legs in midfield with McTominay and Fred, and then you think you know they balance each other out. Or you go with Matic to sort of keep the ball and beat the press. Um, in saying that, Tom, and again, I bring it up, we've forgotten Paul Pogba. He's almost out of our minds because he hasn't played the last two games. It could be the game for Paul, but you know what? Pogba's had some bad moments against Southampton. Um, I don't know if that's coincidence or not, but I can recall two games in history where he's, there's almost been errors that lead to goals against Southampton specifically. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. He's definitely got options there. Well, let me ask you, would you think it's the craziest thing to maybe play Pogba in a six? If he's fit and you want to play that 4-3-3, maybe Pogba sits deep and then you put Fred and Van der Beek either side of him. Look, I, I really like Paul Pogba. Everyone knows I'm a big fan of Paul Pogba. He's not in the discussion for me. I, I wouldn't even consider him for this game. I think if I was a betting man, I think it's going to be Fred and McTominay. And then I think the dis- we know Bruno's going to play, and rightly so. But if you play Fred and McTominay, which is very likely... The discussion clearly goes to Johnny van der Beek for me, and I think that potentially a situation, rightly or wrongly, where maybe Donny van der Beek is the one who plays on the right-hand side in that sort of where one matter has played before. Is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've stolen the words out of my mind. I think that that's very likely. Um, I'm very interested to see how Southampton go. Do they approach the game the way they have done, and which is quite attacking, quite offensive, and look to press United, or do they look to sit back and get us on the counter? Um, It will be interesting, and obviously it will play into how United approach the match. You'd think they actually will look to get us on the counter. It's just a natural instinct, you know, you're you're at Old Trafford, you you sit back. So, um, yeah, look, very interesting game, but nonetheless... Is this uh, Old Trafford or away at St Mary's? I'm not quite sure. You might be uh, me to it. Yep, you're right, actually. It is a way. But look, nonetheless, I, it's a tricky one. Do you actually think Southampton go to press this match? Or are you, from Solskjaer's point of view, do you just think, I need to put out my best 11, I've had a positive result midweek, and do I go with Van der Beek, Fred, Bruno, like he has today? Look, if, if I'm Southampton, if I was lining up against a Man United team, I would press high. Not so much to press Maguire and Lindelof. I think they can play through pressure quite well. I think it's about whoever plays in that six. Maybe not so Matic, but if it's McTominay and Fred picking the ball off of the back four, I think that's where we struggle from a high press. So if I'm the opposition manager, I'm definitely pressing higher regardless of the pace in behind with Martial and Rashford, which is obviously risky, but it's a, we're Man United. There's always going to be quality going forward, but I think Southampton will press high, and I think so much will depend on... Well, I remember last week you mentioned who's going to be the key player in the next game. I think the key player for this one is whoever's going to be picking the ball up off the back four, whether that be Fred, whether that be McTominay, they're going to have to have a very good game for United to get the result. I'm with you. Um, and it, it is one that worries me. We, we've said countless times uh, since the season's commenced, United really need to address the number six position. For all the positive results we've had, particularly in the Champions League, it is an area of concern and need a replacement for Matic, I think, at some point. Now, you talk about a need for the number six position. As all our listeners are aware, we do have our, or the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney do have their charity game this Saturday. 
I think as sort of player manager or player assistant manager, I will be starting myself lining up in the number six. Um, do you have any positional requests for Saturday? Um, it's going to be a boiling hot day, mate. Um, look, if you, if I can play in the wing and not have to track back, I'll just <laughs> chill there with a cigar and wait for you to feed me the ball. Yeah, no, we'll see. We'll see. I'll see if I can spray some passes out like Paul Scholes or Michael Carrick. I'll get that square button ready, but... For any listeners, obviously, in Sydney, always welcome to come down and have a watch because last time we played the Man City supporters, it was very good. We won 4-2, which was obviously very good, but there were two red cards. So while it is a charity game, these games sort of do become a bit fiery when you sort of got your badge on your chest and you feel like you're representing the club. But the link is all on our social medias. The link's still there to donate. We are coming up to the $1,000 target, which would be very good to hit by the weekend. So if you do have a spare 5 or 10 bucks to throw in there, it would be very much appreciated and like always on all the social medias make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app and so you don't have to sort of keep refreshing your feed or just pop up for you when our latest podcast is uploaded but larry always a pleasure chatting to you mate especially after a champions league win always very enjoyable to start our wednesday morning but the main thing is keep yourself in bubble wrap no injuries no drinking on friday night um best prepared for saturday Ah, yeah, no worries, mate. I'll be looking to score a hat-trick, no doubt about it. Ah, Beautiful. So hopefully all our listeners enjoy their week and their weekend, and we will chat to you on either Sunday or Monday after the Southampton match. So have a good one, guys, and cheers. cheers.